Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. It is Friday, October the 14th, 2022, and we're back in Miami, or at least back at the Miami Book Fair, the Miami Book Fair of the future, where a number of uh, America's leading literary luminaries will be appearing. Earlier this week, we did a show with Hilary Shute, who has an edited new book out uh, called Mouse Now. It's about Art Spiegelman's great work of Holocaust literature, if that's the right word. It's about suffering, outrage, and graphic art. Um, we have a different kind of artist today, different kind of outrage, uh, different kind of psychic torment and depression, but about the same subject. Jerry Stahl is very well known, I think, to most of you. He's an American icon. He's so iconic, uh, he doesn't even know how to use a computer. Uh, Jerry is the author of a new book called 999. It's a kind of memoir of a bus tour of Auschwitz. Jerry, welcome. Thank you. Uh, I guess that's one of the privileges of iconhood is you can remain ignorant of uh, how to communicate on a computer. You are iconic, Jerry. Um, and you're iconic for a number of reasons, your lifestyle, your literary work, your involvement with movies. Many people will have seen Permanent Midnight, the movie of your book. Um, tell me about this latest project, 999. Outrageous, classic Jerry style, is it? Yes, the subtitle is One Man's Tale of uh, Depression, Psychic Torment, and a Bus Tour of the Holocaust. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Comedy Gold. It's uh, It started out as a series, a uh, six-part uh, series for Vice, where I took a bus tour of the Holocaust, of, uh, of concentration camps. And my thinking was, I don't know if you can relate to this, I don't know you personally, if you've ever been massively depressed at any point in your life and you just needed something. Well, I wanted to go to a place where despair and depression were completely appropriate. So uh, I finagled a way to get sent to Poland and Germany where I uh, <laughs> signed on to a bus tour of Auschwitz, Buchenwald and Dachau and to be honest, the real terror going in was not the camps, it was the bus, riding with 15 strangers, many of whom had never seen a Jew. And they recognized or misrecognized you, at least some of them on the bus. Who did they think you were? Uh, that's a very good question. I got mistaken at Auschwitz by a, a gaggle of young Filipino uh, ladies. I, I heard them, I heard somebody shouting Crema, Crema in my direction, bad accent, no disrespect intended. And it turns out they thought I was Michael Richards. They thought I was Kramer and they wanted a selfie. At which point in my head, two things happened. One, I'm thinking how fucking grotesque and depressing it is to be mistaken for Michael Richard. And two, I'm thinking, I can't believe I'm obsessing about this at Auschwitz. Number three, I did the selfie because why create drama? So uh, they're gonna be very disappointed. 
So I hope you didn't disappoint them, though. I hope you didn't tell them you weren't Kramer. I didn't, but, uh, you know, I'm guessing down the road, somebody will say he was an imposter. But it certainly gave pause to the new members, the members of my group who I was just meeting, who saw me taking the selfie and really wondered what was going on. I've done one of those bus tours, I have to admit, myself. I, I didn't do it out of depression or psychic torment, but one of the things that's always struck me is the bus pulls up and the driver shouts out, this is the bus to Auschwitz. Um, and I don't know if they always do that, but it's, 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 it's funny, but obviously in, a, in an absurd way. Uh, how, how much gravity was there, Jerry, for you visiting the camps? That's a great question because Needless to say, the gravitas inherent in a place where so many people suffered and died is immeasurable. But what happened is, I, just to talk about Auschwitz, where I went first, I, I go into the camp and I'm fully prepared to have a, a seriously soul-crushing, life-changing experience. But the first thing I see is a guy in an I'm with stupid t-shirt, hammering a Fanta and shoving a pizza slice in his face at the Auschwitz snack bar. So gravitas at that moment is out the window until, you know, you just have to overlook that. And the fact that people are dressing for like, take your kid to uh, Disney World Day. Yeah, well, one wonders how he digested that when he saw, when he was in the hair room or the shoe room or the ovens for that matter. Yeah, uh, yeah, the shoe room, you've been there, so you know. Yeah. Where, where did you go on your tour? Where did you take a bus to? I've, uh, I've done, I didn't do the whole lot. I don't think I've been to Dachau, but I've been to Auschwitz and I've been to some of the others, I went Poland and... So you flew to Poland, especially for this? Yes, uh, I had no other reason to go to Poland. I, I went and we met in Warsaw, where uh, we all met and sat around a table at a kind of a kielbasa grotto and talked about why we wanted to take this tour. And what did you say? I decided to be honest. And I said, uh, rather than acting like a snitch, I was kind of falumphing for a while. Well, you know, I have a Jewish relative. They wanted to see my heritage. But ultimately, I told them I was the last. So I had already heard heard their answer, which was like, well, I saw Schindler's List, or uh, I watched the military channel, the history channel a lot, and I've always loved the Jews. So there was a lot of that. And by the end, I said, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try and write something about this. So they were suitably impressed. And no one mentioned Jewish food. They like schnitzel or? Not a lot of Jewish food on this trip, no. This was pretty much a lot of pork. Even ironically, at the snack bar at Auschwitz, since we mentioned it, pretty much a pork-centric menu all the way around. I so don't remember the snack bar. Is that the beginning or the end? As you come into the entrance, uh, you walk in on the right, there is there is a snack bar, you know, as you, when you walk in. Uh, and they all have them. Buchenwald has a beautiful cafeteria. Where's uh, the best food? Which which camp has the best food? I'm going to go with Buchenwald. Uh, Why? 
because it was the it was the best appointed. I didn't eat at any of them, to tell you the truth. I just couldn't bring myself. So what I did was walk by and judge, you know, and, and sort of mad dog them and put a superior expression on my face, which backfired at Buchenwald when I walked directly into a plate glass window and cut my head open. So I had to kind of like slink back to the Buchenwald men's room and put a Buchenwald paper towel on my Buchenwald wound and then slink back to the bus. So lesson learned. I don't know if you're familiar with Dara Horn. She's a, another writer on the Holocaust, young Jewish uh, writer. She has a book out called uh, Everybody Loves Dead Jews, which is a kind of like yours in, I guess, in a different kind of way, a critique of this dead Jew industry of Holocaust. And mm -hmm. um, do you think everyone loves dead Jews? Do you think she's right? I think conceptually, it's a lot easier for people to uh, deal with dead Jews than live Jews for some people. And uh, it's very easy to love the dead. You know, I'm not sure that they love us back. The other point she makes in her book, and it's a kind of an attack on what you might think of as the military and industrial um, and Frank industry. Uh, she she says that most of the people killed in the camps weren't Anne Frank. They weren't sophisticated urbanites from Amsterdam. They were from the East. And that we, we forget that most of the Jews who died um, in, in the camps weren't Western New York, city amsterdam london style jews do you think there's some truth to that i think that's an interesting point and you know a lot of the people killed in the camps weren't even jews which right. people don't always know some were jehovah's witnesses homosexuals political uh offenders and there was even a certain crime i'm forgetting the german word but it is stupidity so people who just acted like idiots could be swept off the streets and sent to the camps it was a pretty eclectic crew but uh i guess she makes a valid point they weren't all urban sophisticates by any stretch though i'm not sure who's saying they were you know but they weren't all Anne franks that's for sure yeah i mean i think what she, her, her point is that we tend to personalize it and think of it as ourselves where of course that's right person. So I don't know how much the tour costs, but I'm assuming it's cheaper than going to uh, a therapist. Depends how long you go to therapy, you know? If you do EMDR, you can be in and out for, you know, eight sessions. But uh, therapy can go on for years. I'm not a big therapy guy. Uh, are, are you, uh, do you participate in therapy? I, I don't, but the, the reason I'm asking is because the subtitle of the book, One Man's Tale yeah. of Depression, Psychic Torment, A Bus Tour of the, the Holocaust, you could interpret that as a way of confronting your depression and psychic torment. You certainly, certainly, forgive me for interrupting, there, there is the reality that when you get there and when you're standing on this ground, you know, basically on the bones and ashes of the dead, and you realize, you look in the torture rooms, you look in the ovens, you realize in the fields where they were standing there in freezing cold weather, you know, at the whim of the uh, SS, you basically, or I realized, that no matter what my problems are, or how bad they think I think they are, they don't fucking matter. Mm. And that is not the worst perspective to have. It's kind of a backdoor to healing 
but uh, it, it certainly alters your perspective in a fairly shocking way. Has it changed your view of the world too? Uh, um, did you go with one Jerry Stahl and come back as another? In an odd, in an odd way, uh, I came back with a, uh, a different perspective for sure, because what you realize if you do a lot of reading and a lot of research is that the Holocaust is not the exception. It's the time between Holocaust that is the real exception, because somewhere in this world, at any given time, people are being slaughtered en masse just for the crime of being who they are. And I think given that the ax is always falling, the trick for me is realizing that you gotta be grateful for the time in between and the time that you have. Because even looking at our own country, not out of the question, we could be in, uh, we could be in uniforms and shipped off down the road. Some people, Jerry, would take exception to that argument. They would say, you're, you're right, of course, throughout history, people have been persecuted, beaten up, sometimes killed. But the industrial scale of the Holocaust, the fact that the Germans built these camps designed to mass murder millions of people, uh, certainly hadn't happened to that date and hasn't really happened since. I mean, one can criticize aspects of a contemporary America today, but you know, January 6th, for example, but no one was setting up gas albums in, in DC on January 6th. Uh, no, that would have taken more technology than uh, the Proud Boys could have probably mustered. <laughs> but uh, for certain, the, the, uh, the technology has not been replicated that we know of, but the killing itself, the intent and the vision of one people that they need to obliterate another remains somewhere, sometime, at any given moment. So many people, Jerry, tried to get into the heads of, of the mass killers from Hannah Arendt onwards. Did, did that ever occur to you to imagine not just the organizers of this crime against humanity, but mm -hmm. the, the ordinary soldiers, the people who worked in the camps, who who participated in this. Uh, did that occur to you when you were on your bus tour? Of course, you try to get inside their heads. And one book that really altered my view of not just the top brass Nazis, but the run-of-the-mill yeoman-like guy on the ground is this book called Blitzed by Norman, Norman Aller, which, mm. which talks about the fact that all these soldiers, you know, that they invented this drug called Pervitin in the Third Reich, which is essentially the first amphetamine. And they fed it to the soldiers nonstop. Hitler himself was completely addicted, you know, shot up every day with morphine, uh, cocaine, amphetamine, and weirdly enough, Bulgarian peasant stool, which is doctor thought would give him extra vitality. So I could relate in the way that I think the average soldier, soldier, you can't forgive them, but I think you can understand them. They're fucked up, they're scared, and they're taught to think that the Jews are insects. You know, they're taught to believe that they're wiping out vermin. Um, but one of the reasons they invented, oddly enough, the mass incineration 
and the mass gassing was that they thought just having soldiers stand in front of their victims and shoot would be bad for their mental health. So where possible, they developed the death camps. Is there any space for forgiveness here? Uh, again, this has generated an entire literature. Should we try to, we Jews or we humans, should we try to forgive this great crime? I think that's an individual question. Um, well, for you, personally. Do I forgive them? I think I can understand them, but I may not have the spiritual chops to uh, be sanely enough to actually forgive them. Uh, they say that's the road to healing. There are some victims who certainly do. Uh, you could argue that everybody was a victim. But uh, for me personally, I'm not there. I mean, that perhaps suggests that the, the chops you talk about are, are not very healthy, um, but maybe we, we could never forgive such a thing. I mean, such a terrible... Well, is, if the measure of health is the extent to which we can forgive mass murderers, then uh, yeah, I suppose I am, I am not that healthy. My, my, my take is that, you know, at any given time, in any given place, anybody's capable of fucking anything. You know, people have a gun to their head. If they don't kill, they're going to kill. Well, that should enable um, forgiveness. I mean, you're suggesting then there isn't such a thing probably as pure evil. I don't think pure evil is that much of an exception. I, I think that there's a lot of people walking around who can certainly become evil, who don't have any kind of morality and who themselves quite often have been victimized but i don't know that any of that matters when it comes to the people who are who are manning the camps and the people who who set them up the eichmanns the himmlers uh the spears i i think you have to decide for yourself what you get out of forgiving or not forgiving and whichever brings you peace and if it brings you peace to forgive then that's the way to go. Much of the literature of the Holocaust is an extensive literature. Some of it is very good. I, I personally, I think anyway, Primo Levi, if sure. this is a man, is a wonderful book. Uh, what is the fate of, of God here? Did, did God die at Auschwitz, Jerry? It's a very good question. And, you know, since you speak of Primo Levi, uh, he's a survivor, wrote this brilliant book. Mm introduced people to the notion that it wasn't the best people who survived in the camps and then flung himself down a stairwell in Turin right. years after he made it out. So I think the question is, is there, was there a God for Primo? You know, was there a God for him? Clearly he didn't think so, or if he did, he didn't think that God could save him. Uh, not being in any position to dictate the status of God, uh, you have to have a vision of God that includes that happening. And if, and if you can forgive on that level, then who and what you have to forgive is God. What other literature on this? You've, you've obviously done a lot of reading and thinking in, on this subject. What else have you read that 
particularly resonates? There is a book by a man named Littell, L-I-T-T-E-L, maybe single, maybe double, called The Kindly Ones, which is a truly fairly insane work of fiction from the point of view of a closeted uh, SS man and what he goes through and what he does and the sheer callousness and weirdness of the life of those people, uh, those people participating. Uh, and also there's a, there's a man who died fairly recently, Philip Kerr, who wrote the Bernie Gunther series. And, and Gunther was a fascinating character in terms of the Nazis because he hated Nazis. He was a private eye. Uh, it starts out in, uh, in 30s Berlin. Mm. And he's having a hard time because he hates the Nazis more than he hates criminals. And the way he navigates on the ground, it, it's, it's a vision of what it was like in daily life as the Nazis gradually came in and how many people had sympathy for Jews when they put on the yellow star and when they're rounded up and beaten up and kicked to the curb, but feel powerless to do anything about it because to object was essentially to put yourself in the camps or in front of a firing squad. So those, those are both works of fiction, which, uh, which I really admire. And of course, this, this book Blitzed, which gave me a whole other perspective of the Third Reich because they were all gapped on narcotics and warped in ways we can but dimly imagine on top of being warped morally and psychically. How should we remember then uh, all this? Uh, we did a show with Linda uh, Kinsler. She has mm -hmm. a book out about memory in the course. <laughs> what, what is the role of memory here? I mean, it seems to me as if we're remembering more and more. The further and further away we get from the Holocaust, the more we remember or the more we imagine or perhaps the more we make up. Are we at a point now, Jerry, where rather than remembering, we should forget? That's a very good question. And the Oliver Sacks definition of memory is the story we tell ourselves about what happened that we think we remember. And interestingly, not long after the Holocaust, survivors didn't talk about it. There was a generation who remained fairly quiet on the subject. And as you say, mm. the further away we get, the louder the voices are who write about it. And perhaps the, the truth is that those who survived it and those who experienced, even in the children of Holocaust survivors have a, you know, a fairly tough time. And I think the farther away you get, the more you can obsess on it and in a way invent it and make it your Holocaust. There seemed to be an industry of, of, of Holocaust memoirs. There's even a publishing house, Amsterdam Publishing House, which and publishes these memories, especially from children. Mm. Uh, uh, and this perhaps comes back to the Anne Frank question. I, I wonder whether children in particular have the moral capacity to make sense of this. I mean, maybe they do, maybe they don't. Gunter Grass, of course, wrote his great book, The Tin Drum, about a a, a child's mm. view of the Holocaust. I, I don't know whether this is the kind of 
event that makes more sense to children or less sense? And then, of course, if I'm not mistaken, it was discovered that Gunter Grass yeah. unavoidably participated in Hitler Youth because right. you couldn't not. Uh, I think what happens in real time, to the from what I've read, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is people aren't making moral decisions. People are trying to survive. People are trying to get that next crust of bread live for another day and take care of people they can take care of and whether they sacrifice themselves or do what they can to survive it's an individual proposition but i do believe it's more about survival than morality when it's happening i got to talk about this in in miami is miami uh jerry the right venue to talk about your bus tour of the holocaust you mean because of the uh, large numbers of elderly Jewish people who occasionally move there and stay there or just winter there? That's a very I, good I, I didn't, yeah. I didn't, I didn't say that. You're the one who said that. Well, it either makes it the ideal audience or I won't leave alive, one or the other, but- Maybe both. Book, may, maybe both and I won't know the difference, but you know, what my book does that I was trying to do was, you know, there's a delineation between the gravitas and the horror and the terror and the incomprehensible demoralization of the fact that this happened and what it must have been like to survive it. And then the sort of business on the other side, you know, the guy in Auschwitz who were, you know, he's like a crapper hand who, who lived, who, who works in the bathroom and sells you tokens and wouldn't have a job if it weren't for the Holocaust. So, you know, it's it's six of one, half a dozen of the other, but it, it's important to me that people know this isn't a funny book about the Holocaust. This is a book about the insanity and weirdness of what happens when you go trying to have a deeply meaningful experience. Uh, it's like I went to discover humanity and sure enough i got humanity when the guy in front of me in a, in a krakow cemetery was slapping his screaming orange nike on a tombstone to tie his shoe uh that's humanity did it ever occur to you that the whole thing was not that it was of course but could have been designed for a a humorist like you A humorous uh, with your edge, with your irony, with your outrage. The Holocaust was designed for uh, a writer like me. For Jerry Starr. Me personally. Uh, I would that I had that kind of ego. I, I think that the humor comes in, uh, in, you know, I, I don't have many rules of journalism, but one of the ones I have over the years back when I was like putting myself in the nude singles weekend and having to have a buffet with people's pubic hair, gently brushing the chicken salad, is to always put myself in these situations and make myself the biggest idiot in the game. And given that I'm there trying to get through it and experience what I'm experiencing, and part of this book is dealing with my own shit that was happening at the same time as I'm going through these camps, um, 
if there's any truth to be had, it's that it's very difficult to transcend your own psyche and fully embrace an experience. Well, not you, me. Uh, it hit me hard when it hit me, but it's alongside of the reality that you're still you. You still have all your baggage that you're schlepping into the camps with you. Yeah, did you ever read the Borowski's book, This Way to the Gas, ladies and gentlemen? Not, not only have I read it, but somewhere in this book, I tell people to put down mine. Yeah, it's a brilliant the, book. I, I wouldn't say put down yours, brilliant. but read them simultaneously. It's one of my favorite books. So, uh, it, it, Mine too, and, and it, another suicide who survived. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's hard for a Borowski or a, a Primo Levi. It, it makes sense uh so where, where's the next bus tour jared not sure if i'm ready to get back on the bus uh the next book is not going to involve the holocaust as far as i can tell but uh, i'll know when i get there <laughs>